Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Megan Schuster. I will be your host today. And joining me to talk about all things related to the upcoming Australian Grand Prix are two of my very favorite people to talk Formula One with. Tim Haraney, host of the Nailing the Apex podcast, and my former Ringer colleague and now wonderful Fangraphs writer, Michael Bauman. You guys, it's been way too long. How are you both? Which one of us is your favorite? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop putting me on the spot. This is a rude way to turn the tables on your podcast for the day. I'm just saying most F1 teams know who their number one driver is. So Wow. I'm, I'm going to take the uh, the team principal tack and say there is no number one driver here. We're all just uh, one one big happy family on, on the Ringer F1 show. Um, seriously, though, really excited to talk about Australia with you both. There are a few other things I want to get to on the pod today, too. First kind of digging into some newsy items that have come up over the last week or so on Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull. Then I think we'll spend a little bit of time discussing the midfield because um, given all the newsiness and or shambliness of the top teams over the first couple of races, I feel like I've really been neglecting those teams and quite frankly don't really know where they stand in my mind at this point. Um, and then I think we'll end on some Australia stuff. Does that sound good to you guys? Yep. Sounds cool. Fabulous. So first, I wanted to start with some of the Red Bull intrigue that we got from Saudi Arabia, specifically about how kind of wickedly fast this car was with the DRS open. We got some some quotes from Lewis after the race where he said this was the fastest car he's ever seen compared to the rest of the field. 
which is saying something considering he drove most of the kind of defining cars of the 2010s of F1. Sky Sports talked about it a bit on the broadcast as well during the race, which I think was really only kind of evident because Max started in 15th and we got to actually see him really blow by a lot of the both the midfield cars as well as some of the other top teams. But they just seem to be getting considerably more speed from the DRS than is typical. Um, I think on his overtake of Lewis, Max measured out about 20 miles an hour more than Lewis, which is, you know, more than you're going to typically see with a DRS wing open. Um, There's been some kind of interesting pieces on where this is stemming from that have popped up over the last week. But first, I just kind of wanted to get your guys' initial takes on what it was like to see that kind of a speed difference from Red Bull last week and and kind of what you've been making of it over the last uh, few days. thought it was interesting to see, I mean, obviously, like you had said, just the speed differential between, well, we'll use Lewis and, and Max at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix because, yeah, it looked like, obviously, <laughs> Max is pack, pack, passing Lewis like he's standing still. But at the same time, I mean, we also have to take into consideration that, you know, the Mercedes is a draggy car. Uh, it's still kind of slow in a straight line. Uh, but at the same time, I think it was Gary Anderson who wrote the piece and it was really well done. And it had a lot to do with how Red Bull utilizes the rear of the car. I mean, and like you guys, I mean, like the way you build a Formula One car, it's all kind of built. It's all built together. I mean, the front, everything starts with the front wing and then it kind of works its way backwards towards the rear of the car. And it's interesting to see the different types of beam wings that Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull were actually running for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I mean, they're all quite different in their structure. And a lot of it has to do with how that beam wing and the DRS and the rear wing and how that whole sort of system operates. And it kind of looks like, you know, Red Bull has really worked on on this aspect of their car in the offseason. I mean, granted, they have worked on the entire thing for sure, but I think they've really, really developed something at the rear of the car that's working quite well for them. Now, is this something that's going to give them an advantage throughout the rest of the season? I mean, probably not. I think this is something that the teams will eventually start to get on top of and and, uh, start manufacturing. I mean, you know, hearing from Aston Martin a few days ago, it it really does sound like it. it, It's something that a team has to consider uh, in the cost cap, where it's like, is this the type of system this rear wing and beam wing development that we want to spend money on and really push towards because in a cost cap without a cost cap, I mean, they could develop, you know, anywhere from like seven to eight different types of rear wing beam wing concepts. But that being said, with the cost cap now involved, the teams really do have to pick and choose which directions they really want to go to uh, in terms of development. And Red Bull in particular, getting out in front like this is huge for them because uh, not only do they have lower aerodynamic allowances on account of winning the championship, they're still paying off that penalty for the the cost cap overspend mm-hmm. from 2021. I think, Tim, what you said about the Mercedes being a draggy car, uh, that would be more concerning to me than Red Bull and Adrian Newey picking up another trick because that's always going to happen, particularly for you know, a designer that talented and a team that's built such a good car that's been so out in front since the new regulations started. Like when 
it's not just a matter of of uh, generating downforce. It's a ma- it's a matter of generating downforce without incurring drag. Making you know being able to whether that's stalling aerodynamic components on the straights or um, or generating downforce with the floor, which is something we know Mercedes has had a lot of trouble mm-hmm. with. When they can't generate that downforce without incurring a lot of drag, they have to put bigger wings on it. They have to make other concessions to straight line speed, whereas Red Bull is just fast everywhere. And this, you know, seeing how far in front they were, I mean, the the Ferrari was was in their league for a lot of last season, just in terms of one lap pace, you know, reliability and strategy let them down. And I was sort of hoping that the more looks everybody got at what seemed to be the defining car, the more the top of that uh, competitive order would would you know close up. But we've seen you know Red Bull has not missed a step, and mm-hmm. it seems like everybody who's chasing them has just been constantly shooting themselves in the foot this season. Yeah, and it really does seem like they've put a lot of their a lot of their develop that development tokens sort of up front, if you will. Where mm-hmm. on the back on the back end of this, I mean, it could come to you know bite them in the ass when it gets to you know may june july when you're really starting to develop not only the car but also next season's car as well within that time frame and so i think one of the things that red bull has done here is that they've kind of put all their eggs in one basket in terms of okay let's develop this thing as much as we can as early as we can and we'll spend as much of our sort of cost cap we'll spend as much of our wind tunnel cfd design time uh, developing this car up front, and then hopefully we open up a big enough of a gap where it's going to take everybody forever to catch up with us. It kind of reminds me of I want to say like the Braun GP days, where you know they 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 really hit the ground running in terms of their development, where eventually the teams started to chip away and gain on them towards yeah. the end of the season. That's kind of what this reminds me of. Yeah, they had no development. Like they That's pretty right. much ran the same car all year, yeah. and by even mid-season, Red Bull was faster than they were. But they yeah. had built up such a huge lead yep. that it didn't matter. And I, you know, I don't think it'll be that extreme with Red Bull, but I do think that's the plan. You know, to get as big a lead up front, and if by the end of the season, you know, Charles Leclerc is, or you know, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton are keeping pace with Verstappen, you know, if he's up two hundred points at the summer break, then Red Bull's not going to care. They'll already be moving on to the 2024 car and that's you know we're seeing the inversion of the dynamic between uh red bull and mercedes and ferrari now and mercedes and ferrari and red bull in the previous rule set where you know you'd see red bull or um or ferrari you know make gains against mercedes sometimes over the course of the season but by that time mercedes was already on in the next car and you know it's just it's that's what you have to do if you want to stay ahead for an entire rule cycle. And at this point, you know, Red Bull is just, they've done such a good job. You know, I'm having a hard time imagining anybody really reeling them back in. Yeah. And one of the things, Megan, that I find find really interesting with this cost cap is just how our team's really going to utilize it. Because in the, in the past, I mean, Michael had, had drawn to this where it's kind of like, okay, you know, big teams with a lot of money can just outspend everyone else to maintain their lap delta to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then everyone else doesn't have enough money to sort of like catch up where now it's kind of like there are a lot of teams here that are on the same playing field in terms of how much money can they spend 
uh, throughout the entire season. Now, not every single team is is at the cost cap threshold, but there are mm-hmm. quite a few of them that can push up against it. And same thing factors in with that wind tunnel and the CFD time in, in the tunnel. Um, I think this is going to be a season where we can really see just how much these regulations can work. I mean, if we go back to last season and you take a look at Aston Martin as an example, they started the mm-hmm. season and, you know, they were dead last, right? They weren't good at all. But by the time they brought that really big upgrade to, I believe it was it was the uh, Spanish Grand Prix, and that's when we got the, hey, that Aston Martin looks a lot like the Red Bull. But right. In, right. In, in fact, that car was actually being built back in November before the season even got started. That was a direction path that they could take because of cost cap, because of the wind tunnel and the CFD time that they could get. And then by the time we got to uh, summer break, just after summer break, Aston Martin was now starting to fight into the points. And that's where they started to make up all of that ground to let them finish seventh in the constructor standings. And so you had a team at that aspect where they were at the back (laughs) <laughs> nowhere to be found to, hey, we're now starting to to fight for points. And that is what I'm going to find extremely interesting to see just how well these regulations work uh, for this season. I appreciate that you guys are giving me reasons to believe that there's hope that any of these teams will start catching up to <laughs> Oh, Red that wasn't Bull. my intention. I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> well, I don't Tim, think there's any Tim hope. Tim then, because... <laughs> I just, and granted, like I'm trying to take everything to the start of this season with a grain of salt because around this time last year was when I started wondering, was Red Bull just going to fall off a cliff with their reliability stuff? Was Ferrari too far out in front already to kind of run away with things? And then we obviously saw how all of that ended. So I've I've been trying to uh, kind of rein in my expectations for them a little bit, but especially seeing you know, how Checo performed last weekend and uh, how quickly Max was able to make his way through the rest of the field. I was having a really hard time keeping a lid on it. So, but I I also, Tim, I I was glad you mentioned that Gary Anderson piece on the race because I I did read that yesterday and I will admit that I understood almost none of it because (laughs) there's a reason that I'm not an engineer. Um, But it was really fascinating and I I would recommend people go and and kind of read it if, if you're interested in, you know, the inner workings of the technical stuff of F1 because it was a really kind of fascinating example of, you know, how these minute changes in a car can can make things so different. But speaking of one of those teams that uh, is kind of having the inverse development issues, um, I wanted to talk about some of the Ferrari stuff that came out this week. There was some news that the team will unveil a revised version of their car at Imola. So I believe that's the sixth race of the year. It'll feature kind of a lot of new components. It seems like a new floor, rear suspension. It sounds like they may be losing some of those bowl-shaped side pods that were so unique last year and have seemed to be rather um, ineffectual. Um, They've said that their goal is to make the car function well at the minimum height required by the FIA, trying to kind of increase that downforce without some of the porpoising issues that they had at the beginning of last year. Where what do you guys make of all of this? Do you think that this is ultimately going to be a positive thing for Ferrari? Is this concerning to you at all that all of these new changes are coming? Um, what, what do you make of it overall? I, I I mean I think it's a good thing because I mean at the at the end of the day I think a lot of these teams they're all going to converge and eventually we're all going to have you know twenty Red Bulls on the grid. 
Okay. I mean, that being said, it's interesting to see just how much work they're willing to to put in to revise so much of their race car. And it's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, you, you brought up that porpoising um fact and and, and you know, obviously with that regulation change that happened uh just after summer break, I believe, last mm-hmm. season where they're raising the floor by about 15 uh millimeters. And I think that's really affected some of these teams, especially Ferrari on the grid. And a lot of that has to do with if they're bringing a new floor, I mean, I can only assume that that's going to try and stop some of the outwash that's happening with, with the car aerodynamically to try and keep some of it, uh, see, keep some of more of that air on board. And then same with the downwash with the side pods. I mean, the, the, the main thing here is I think just trying to get as much downforce to the rear of the car as possible. And if you take a look at, I would say if we go back to the Bahrain Grand Prix, uh, even maybe even in Saudi Arabia as well, but some of the corners there, I mean, you know, the, the Ferrari was quite fast in a, in a straight line, but it mm-hmm. really lacked when it came to getting the car out of the corner so the driver could get the power down, get as much rear grip as possible. The Red Bull was fantastic at doing that. And a lot of that has to do with how much air and and everything they can get to the to the rear of it. So... It'll be interesting to see because it's it's not like you can just bring a big upgrade to a car that you haven't really worked with in preseason testing and just say, okay, we're going to put this on the car and it's all going to work and everything's right. going to be fine. Right. It takes a long time to like the team to understand, okay, what what does this give us? And then how do we fine tune the balance so the driver can extract the performance from it? And that actually takes a while. It doesn't, doesn't, necessarily come right away it'll take a few races time before ferrari is able to see okay is this thing working is it not do we need to go back to the design room and figure something else out so yeah it's um it was interesting to hear that news and uh, i'll be fascinated to see what they bring (laughs) yeah it's we'll see i mean it's ferrari's been in sort of a weird place i wonder you know how fred Vasseur is dealing with some of the corporate pressures that uh, and Marinello and, you know, how those new dynamics, you know, Tim mentioned the the lead time, like you think about the time it takes to decide, you know, your developmental path to actually design and build the components. It's, you know, it's months and months and months. And so you have to think so far ahead of, of uh, um, where the problems actually are that when stuff crops up, like has happened for them in the first couple races, mm-hmm. if by the time you're fixing it, you know, half the season's gone. And so, you know, I do worry about Ferrari or any other team, you know, trying to be overly reactive in their um, in their design process. But, you know, at, at the same time, like, you know, we know how long the lag is, but it's also only two races into the season. They can't, you know, they still have to keep throwing stuff at the car for uh, for 2023. So, I mean, it's just a we'll see, you know, the the speed of the car is obviously concerning the the. Uh, lack of performance compared to Red Bull, you know, compared to 2022 is concerning. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, Charles Leclerc's already taken a grid penalty in the second race. Like, yeah. this is yeah. they're, a lot of the reliability stuff, which is what they talked up in the offseason. You know, it's not the same. It's, you know, it's control electronics. So it's not like, you know, the um, the engine blowing up, maybe like we saw a couple of times last year. But, mm-hmm. you know, they thought that they had gone down a developmental path that would allow them to solve those issues you know, between now and 2026. And, 
you know, maybe they've just had some bad luck early in the season, but it doesn't look like it's going in the right direction. And it's just, you know, it's another disappointment from a team I expected to be up there with Red Bull this year. Yeah, and you make a good point, Michael, where it's like all of the uh, all of the restructuring that's kind of happened at the team ever since Mattia Bonotto left, and then you had mm-hmm. Fred Vasseur coming in. I mean, it, with Formula One, it's interesting because it's not necessarily like you bring a new head coach in and you know they they clean house, and then next thing you know, the next you know two three weeks four weeks later, the team is doing well. With Formula One, it you know, you bring Fred Vasseur in, he's going to bring some of his guys in. He's going to restructure uh, some things within the factory to get they things They have to working. restructure considering, it, you know, how big a part of the, you know, Mattia Bonato was still the like the de facto technical director. There. Right, <laughs> right. It's, and that's the thing, right? And that's why I think this is, this isn't something that's going to happen over a few months. This is going to be a few years, right? This is mm-hmm. how long these things within Formula One take so they can start getting that performance back. But from my understanding, so far, a lot of the changes that he's made apparently have gone over fairly well within the Ferrari factory and how they're able to get components to the car and try and get this, uh, steer this ship back on the right direction. Um, it's Ferrari's always fascinating, right, Megan? Because it's like, you know, it's you always want to know what's going on behind the scenes because there's always something. I have I have become such a um fan of the Italian media over the last few months. I yeah. I must admit I followed uh I I told this to Spanners on another podcast that we did, but I've started following a lot of Ferrari fan accounts just because there's always something happening that is driving people, you know, to drink or, or to go crazy over over this team. And um, this, this was just sort of the latest one this this week. But all of this, like, I, I get what you guys are saying. And it does make me cautiously optimistic that, like, maybe they're finally steering this to a path that, like, the entire team can now be behind it does concern me a little bit, though, especially as it relates to Charles, in that I wonder how long he's willing to be patient through all of this. I, I wonder how long he is willing to sit by and and kind of, you know, believe what engineers are telling him, what the team is telling him that, you know, we're kicking the can down the road where, you know, 2024, end of 2023, you know, into the new regulations will be competitive and for a young driver like him that has so much talent and is expected to be, you know, kind of one of the dominating forces on the grid going forward, I I wonder how long he's he's willing to kind of sit there and believe all of it, I guess. That's the most interesting thing about F1 right now to me is we had this, I don't know, I'll call it a golden generation of talent, you know, these late 90s birthdays all come up around the same time with Verstappen, Mm LeClaire, Lando Norris, George Russell, all these guys being billed as future world champions. And all of them, you know, having a long, deliberate path, locked down long term in teams that promised them that they were all going to be at the top of the pile, either by now or by 25 or 26. And right now, everybody but Max Verstappen, well, you know, Max Verstappen's always pissed about something. So, you know, But As is his every, father. Everybody but him is sort of looking over their shoulder at like, you know, am I at the right place? And, and you know, add into that, you know, Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, like they're the will Hamilton leave Mercedes chat has yep. started, you know, popping up. So I think that the longer these teams sort of dick around now that somebody else has dethroned 
Mercedes, the mm-hmm. more interesting the driver market for the next couple of years is going to end up being. You really think Hamilton leaves Mercedes? No, I don't. Though? Like, no. I mean, so Total not for Wolf, Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like Total Wolf told us a few weeks ago that it kind of sounds like they're they're really close to to a deal, and I'm just curious of other people's thoughts on you really think Lewis would leave Mercedes because it's kind of it's Mercedes. He's got everything he needs and it's a team that's going to come back. Like they're they may yeah. be so, yeah. they may be struggling, you know, mightily right now, but I really do feel like Mercedes will eventually get back to where they were. I also I just feel like with Mercedes, there's always going to be such a high floor that like anywhere else you go, you might risk having a really, really bad season. Whereas yeah, with Mercedes, you'll probably always be, you know, one of the top three teams. And and also the other team that I or the only team that I really saw him linked to is Ferrari. And I think given everything that they're going through right now, I would have a really hard time picturing that. What it comes down to for me for that question and why I wasn't really prepared to put a whole lot of stock in the the Hamilton rumors was where else is he going to go? You know, like, I don't think that, you know, I'm not that optimistic about Mercedes contending for a title in the next year. You know, certainly not this year, maybe not even next year, but it's not like Ferrari or Aston Martin or McLaren or Alpine is going to do any better. And so if he really wants to stick around long enough to get that eighth title, if that's, you know, really what he needs to do before he can retire, I don't see it. You know, I just don't see a better opportunity short of him going into the second Red Bull, which, uh, you know, oh my I, God. I would be Don't exciting, but also <laughs> like, you know, one of the cars being swept up by a dragon would be exciting too. And I don't think that's a whole lot less likely. I think, I think my current dream scenario, aside from him taking the second Red Bull seat, which would just be the most chaotic thing I've ever seen in my life, would be Lauren Stroll firing Lance and hiring Lewis just because of, I love all intra family sports drama. Like, you know, anytime Doc Rivers and Austin Rivers, something happens there, you know, all, all of that stuff. I'm like, I love those dynamics. So I that'd think be it's really fun for me. I think that's too many millennials. Like even letting, letting aside their, the last time that they were teammates, it's too many elder millennials in, in one team. <laughs> like now that I'm getting up to, to that age, like there's just a level of like, I'm not dealing with this shit anymore that I think Lewis and Fernando are both at. Well, and they both kind of hate each other at this point, right? So so maybe that would be just a toxic uh, relationship within the garage that Aston Martin probably doesn't want, but would be fun from our perspective. Speaking of those young drivers, I feel like we should talk about McLaren. They came out with some news this week that um, James Key, their technical chief who oversaw car development and design, is leaving the team. They're overall restructuring to have seems like three sort of department heads rather than one boss on that side of things, splitting up aero and car concept and performance and engineering and design. Um, This is happening, obviously, after a rather disastrous start to the season. Zach Brown coming out and admitting that the team really like woefully missed its development targets over the offseason and that it's hoping to unveil a relatively competitive package ahead of Baku. Um, Although by that point, other teams will have, of course, you know, their targeted upgrades out as well. So that'll be kind of interesting to see how all of that compares. But what do you guys think this signals for McLaren? And are three heads like better than one in this case, I guess, is, is my major concern. Well, it depends on who the heads are. 
you know, they David Sanchez, who they poached from Ferrari, who's going to start next year, you know, they seem to like him a lot. I think that that sort of collaborative uh, environment can work as long as the, the heads of the departments, they don't even have to get along. They just all have to work together. Um, and it, it's an acknowledgement that designing and building an F1 car is just such a huge job now that, it, you know, maybe this, maybe technical director is too big a, um, too big an umbrella for one person to be hands on with. You know, with that said, the way they've gone since 2021 is just an absolute disaster. Like they, got their pants pulled down with this rule set. And I think that, you know, you look at them, you know, Lando Norris getting that car on the podium last year and and then, you know, even being in the fight uh, with Alpine uh, in the Constructors' Championship, I think Lando Norris is dragging this team to results that this car shouldn't mm-hmm. be capable of, even mm-hmm. to a greater extent than Leclerc was with Ferrari in 20, uh, 20 and 21. And that's papering over a lot of cracks. And you could see the... Uh, the frustration starting to grow with with Lando Norris, um, and you know you could, I think we will see that with Oscar Piastri too, who's yeah who took a huge risk to come here, and you know is not as happy go lucky as the driver he's replacing, and <laughs> so you know right now the way things are going, regardless of what happens with the Baku upgrades, which you know I have no reason to doubt them that it'll do what McLaren says, they seem to. You know, they seem to be pretty frank about the shortcomings of the car and how long they've been working on it. But like if I had to bet on one two person driver lineup for 2026, it would be Norris and Botas at at Audi. I think Mm. that like they are chasing Lando out the door Um, and they need like they need to fix this fast or else, you know, they better hope that Oscar Piastri is ready to take over that team. Yeah, I think a a big part of it also is 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 like Michael had said, getting caught out with this new aero regulation and it's being it so aero heavy and aero dependent that you do need to have your own, uh, you do need to have your own wind tunnel. I mean, yes, Aston Martin does use Mercedes's, but they're going to have their own wind tunnel come online yeah. quite soon. But at the same time, I mean, McLaren has to send all of their stuff to Toyota's wind tunnel, which I believe is all the way out in Germany. Germany, It's not even like, it's not even close to where they are. And so I think not having your own wind tunnel and waiting uh, that long to build one is McLaren's wind tunnel coming online. From my understanding, it is, you know, hearing from Andre Estella a few weeks ago, he says he, when he's in his office, he hears them firing it up behind him and he can hear (laughs) that it's starting to work, but that's great and all. But I mean, this is formula one. Like usually a lot of these teams really plan ahead. Like they're, they're not planning months they're planning years. And it's kind of like, well, how did you not see this and get this corrected um, soon enough? And on the flip side of that, Recently, I mean, they have been on a massive recruitment drive. I mean, Michael, you had mentioned David Sanchez, but, you know, that's not everybody that they've been recruiting um, because they are aggressively trying to expand their aero department. I mean, they already recruited around 15 people at this point from Ferrari, Red Bull, and they've also got some key figures from uh, Aston Martin, um, Mariano Alpern has come over to help them. And, you know, a big part of his thing is aero performance. And so this is a, this to me is kind of concerning when I look at McLaren because they are such a, 
they're a big team. You know, you can't mm-hmm. sit here and say that they're not. They've been in Formula One forever. They've won tons of championships. They've had some of the best drivers on the grid. And it's kind of like, how did they not sort of foresee foresee all of this? How did they not understand that they needed these things to come online faster? Same with the new like simulator. Like, come on. They don't even have one of those up and running just yet. It is coming apparently. But again, at the same time, it's it, it has to be disappointing for a driver like Lando Norris and a driver that is as talented as Lando is because you're you're as a driver, you know, I I was one. It's it's uh it's difficult because you know that you know you're not getting any younger and you know there's there's going to be a window um that will be available for you to you know get a championship potentially, get some wins potentially. And at this moment and seeing how far back they are it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen for for a driver like himself, uh, at least not in this regulation set that we are currently in. And, you know, Michael brings up a good point. Like, I, I don't necessarily think you can lose a Lando Norris. Like, yes, you've, mm-hmm. you brought in Oscar Piastri, and he has been fantastic over uh, the first two races so far. But we still haven't gotten a big scope of you know, where are Oscar's weaknesses and where are his strengths? When mm-hmm. I look at Lando, I mean, he has not a lot of weaknesses. And as he is going to progress and get older and gain that experience that is so crucial to win a championship, I mean, Oscar is going to be developing behind him at the same rate. So I I don't know if I'm Lando Norris, uh, like Bauman said, you know, I'm I'm probably going to start looking looking elsewhere in a few years time. And what what would be frustrating what what has to be frustrating from him his perspective is how it seemed like they were right on the they were knocking on the door yep. seven twenty one. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. he he didn't win a race, but he was on the on the podium. Like he was competing for third in the in the driver's title for most of that season and had a, you know, I think a realistic shot, not just at winning Russia, but you know, a different strategic call, he wins in Italy. And if yep. not for that qualifying crash in Belgium, like he was one of the fastest drivers on the grid there too. He would have had a shot had that race gone on. And it's just all completely collapsed. And for a young guy who hasn't really had that many ups and downs in his career, you know, I think how he deals with failure, you know, we saw, you know, this was a, a big defining thing for Pierre Gasly, you know, when he ha- got his shot at Red Bull and then rebounded um, in his second t- mm-hmm. second stint at Toro Rosso, um, Alpha Tauri. Like, you know, how Lando picks up from not even his own failure, but this disappointment. You know, how does he, you know, keep the motivation? It's it's. I think it's going to tell us a lot about him uh, as a driver and a contender, and you know, he's got to make the first real decision of his career. And McLaren is not, you know, all this. All you know, all the recruitment is great. The the new gadgets are bringing online. The getting their own wind tunnel is great. It's going to take a, a long time for those changes to filter into car performance. And you know, the problem that problems that McLaren's been dealing with, you know, like the the brake cooling issue that that killed them early yeah. last season. This is not like these are not the problems that they have to solve along with everybody else. These are problems that are unique to them. And all the while, Red Bull's getting farther ahead. Alpine's getting farther mm-hmm. ahead. Mercedes is getting closer to um, to rejoining the the top of the pack. Like, all their, all their competitors are just getting farther and farther away. And, you know, it's been incredibly disappointing um, to yeah. watch them the first couple of races this season. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. 
That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Very tough times for Lando. Interesting times for Oscar, who obviously took a big bet on going to McLaren over Alpine and made, um, you know, quite the stink in the process around the grid. Uh, Sure, he hopes that things pick up soon, especially at his home race. I, for one, am very glad that Daniel Ricciardo will be at Australia this weekend. I'm curious to see if he shares (laughs) shares any of his thoughts about uh, McLaren's recent downturn, if he's going to take a little victory lap while he's there. Who knows? Yeah, always glad to have him on the grid, obviously. Um, Okay, let's get into some midfield stuff. I wanted to do kind of a power ranking exercise with you guys and just see, you know, uh, we're only two races in, so lots of time for this to change. But I wanted to power rank these teams a bit based on, you know, the performance that we've seen so far compared to whatever expectations you guys had for them coming into this season and also where you think that they will maybe end up towards the end just because they're so complete like and this I'm I'm considering the midfield as everyone after Ferrari in the standing so that's Alpine Alfa Romeo Haas Williams Alfa Tauri McLaren all of those teams are within eight points of each other none of these teams have more than eight points so (laughs) it's uh yeah kind of a fascinating time and Tim maybe we can start with you where do you kind of see these teams stacking up together I mean, I'm surprised. Well, first of all, I'll just say I'm surprised that Alpine at this moment only has eight eight points. And yeah, I know yep. we're only two, two races in, but I really was expecting a lot more um, from this team. And I also, on the flip side of that, 
I don't think we've actually necessarily seen the the, the car's true potential uh, mm-hmm. just yet. Um, as for the Alfa Romeo, that is an interesting car team dynamic at this at this moment. It's just looking at it on track, watching how the drivers you know bounce back from difficult practice sessions. It has it. It appears that it has like a pretty big operating window, and that's that's very positive. That's kind of like the Aston Martin, where the Aston Martin has a very nice operating window that the drivers can extract performance um, from it. But on the back end of that, you know, they have a lot going on behind the scenes. Obviously, with Andreas Seidel moving in, mm-hmm. and he's putting his stamp uh, on the team as well, and then obviously trying to get them ready for that transition from you know, Alfa Romeo Sauber to Audi. And so that I think is, is going to take, take away from their season. I think at the, at the end of it, I'm really impressed with, with what Haas has done, but more importantly with what Williams has done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have made an incredible jump from where they were. I mean, last season, I mean, that car sucked. Like it was so (laughs) bad. And so they brought that upgrade in Silverstone in 2022. And essentially, they've just kind of refined it and have been building on top of it. But then you factor in the loss of, you know, their TD and you factor in the loss of FX. And then obviously, Jos Capito um, getting removed from the team as well. Mm-hmm. And then he has James Val's kind of coming in. This car is not necessarily a reflection of anything that James has has done just yet i think for for james that his the most important thing for his job i think is getting this team together because they aren't you know they it it was a team that was very divided when he came into it and i think that's a big that's a big thing for him and i think at the same time it's trying to um get online some new technology to help them develop this car even more. And I think he's going to be able to do that. And I really do see Williams finishing higher than eighth this season because there are going to be tracks where that car is going to be very tough to beat for some of the midfield teams. I can, I, I see them, honestly, Michael pushing up into that sixth or maybe even it's sixth or seventh spot within the constructor standings. Yeah, I think I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think the gap from Ferrari to Alpine is smaller than the gap from Alpine to whoever you want to put six right now. Um, Mm. And that's, you know, the nightmare race that they had in Bahrain with, you know, Gasly going out and qualifying last and then then Ocon bouncing in everything and stacking, you know, stacking penalties. Just, you know, you take that out of the, you know, out of the equation. I think, you know, eighth and ninth, like that's about where these guys ought to finish. And I think there's a, there could be a podium for at least one of those drivers on the right weekend. Um, you know, Haas, I think, has is more stable than we're used to seeing. I think there's some of the upside that we saw when they had the huge developmental head start and also bringing K-Mag back. And, you know, maybe mm-hmm. there was, um, you know, still some potential left in Mick Schumacher. I think there was a lot more optimism for, you know, maybe this is a team that could, you know, they finished fifth to start last season. Um, you know, I, I think they've sort of stabilized as, as a lower midfield, like seventh, eighth team that will, you know, occasionally score points, occasionally make Q3. Um, but I think there's a little bit less upside. I agree hundred percent about Williams. I was worried about this team's like solvency as recently as this off season and just James Fowles coming in and, and stabilizing the ship. I think they've got a, a handy car um, that 
you know, Alex Albon can put in Q3 every so often. I think Logan Sargent's been very encouraging. Um, mm-hmm. But he's been great. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he's been great. He showed, like, he showed peaks in F2, but he's very inconsistent. And that peak, like, the 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 performances that got him in F1 drive were, like, just in, a, in the span of a few weeks. And so I was, you know, curious about his ability to really translate it to, you know, to week in, week out performance. He's, I, you know, I... I would find it hard to complain about his performance mm-hmm. at all. Um, McLaren, I think, will end up sort of underneath Alpine just because they've got the resources, experience, and you know the, that extremely talented driver lineup. But they're just lost right now. Um, but perhaps not as lost as AlphaTauri, who you, my man Yuki Sonoda <laughs> yep. is dragging, yep. dragging that heap of junk <laughs> to the verge of points week in, week out. An absolutely heroic performance by. By our short king, um, <laughs> but oh, I, I, I would I would be very confident that they're going to finish last. M- Michael, when 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 your team principal Franz Toast comes out in the media and tells you that he doesn't trust his engineers, you got some you got some problems. Is that a bad sign? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Take it with a grain of salt, you know? Um, I couldn't believe he said it. He actually like, said that. And I was like sitting there like, what? <laughs> perhaps too honest. Although I, I can appreciate it as someone who it's loves probably drama. probably the nicest thing anybody who works within the Red Bull umbrella has ever said about a coworker in public before. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I agree with everything you guys are saying on Alpine. I think as a group, we can probably slot them into that fifth fifth spot on the grid. Are you guys thinking McLaren will be up in sixth or alpha or who are you seeing as, as kind of the next hmm. highest midfield team? I don't think I McLaren like is, a... is anywhere close to the sixth fastest car now, but I think they will be by the end of the season. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I think like McLaren's got a lot of work to do here, like a lot. And I just, I don't know if they can make that big of a jump but at the same time i mean the 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 midfield i like i i wish we were watching the midfield as like first second and third yeah yeah it's been absolutely fabulous how close the midfield Mm -hmm. actually is and then you've kind of got this little this little gap to say the you know aston martin mercedes ferrari and then you've got a little bit of a bigger gap to to the red bulls but like yeah i just I just don't see McLaren get getting that high up. If anything, I think I think Haas is that you know six six team or maybe even Williams. But the reason I say Haas is just simply because of the experience that they have in this team now. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Michael did make mention of of Mick Schumacher there, but you know now you've got two solid drivers who have a load of experience. And if we take a look at what Nico Hulkenberg did in qualifying yeah. for the Bahrain Grand Prix, it's very quick. impressive. And so there is potential, I think, in that car. And granted, one of the things that they struggled with last season was upgrades and trying to uh, execute on getting upgrades to this car in a timely manner. And that's one of the things that this team has had to work on during the off season and then into this season is trying to get upgrades faster onto onto this Haas machine, which I think they're going to be capable of doing that because they've 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 been able to um, get some pretty big sponsors on board to help them push up against that cost cap. So I I really I really see Haas maybe even sliding into that six playoff. And if they can get all that done, I think you're absolutely right. But you know this team's been around for a while now. You know Nico Hulkenberg has been around 
that was an odd way I just pronounced it. Nico Hulkenberg Hulkenberg has (laughs) been around for a while now. And we're familiar with the limitations of both these drivers in the organization. Like, you know, we know that there are, you know, that Hulk struggle, you know, has tire management struggles in a, in a race that maybe might not show up in, in qualifying. Like we know about the upgrade problem. We know, you know, about Haas's inability to develop a car over the course of the season. If some of that stuff gets fixed, they're absolutely going to be fighting for the top of the midfield. But I, that's what I was talking about when I meant like the lack of upside. I don't, you know, these are big problems that we have a long track record of them not being able to snap their fingers and solve. Are we pretty comfortable slotting Alpha Tauri into 10th at this point. I do they have any sort of hope of salvaging all of this? Like you said, I, I feel I feel for Yuki because he's actually had a really great start to this season after um, you know, last season was a bit of a disappointment, but so I, I just I feel bad yeah, for that whole team. Isn't that isn't that so perfect though? Like you're looking for redeeming qualities here, Megan. I, right? I am. I, I'm like I'm trying to like have you know give give them some sort of kudos, some kind of optimism. I just it, it's been really really tough to watch. Yeah, it's it, but it's it's like the irony of of you know Alpha Towery finally dropping off like the the sort of couple years of high period just in time for you know Yuki Sonoda's radio or Yuki Sonoda's radio messages to stop being crunch fuck sorry like <laughs> what a shame just I like, it by a couple months <laughs> i do i do think as for redeeming qualities i mean i do think that driver lineup is 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 good i mean Yuki it's fun. is yeah like yeah. when he's when he's on and has a clear head he's super fast and same mm-hmm. with i mean and, and nick devries is that guy's mega. Like, I mean, as soon as he starts to gain just even more experience, he's he's very good. He's going to be a tough teammate for Yuki to handle. But I think as a team, that's good for them because that pushes that the pushes the car, pushes the team, pushes the development. I, I again, you know, I just come back to that Franz toss statement where he's you know <laughs> just saying he doesn't trust his engineers, and it's just like, oh my god, like he, you know, it, it, that that's a little disconcerting, obviously. Um, it's disconcerting I, because it's true and it's like more yeah, disconcerting but, but because like, he said it. But like, I mean, like, look, sorry to cut you off, Megan. I mean, but like, yeah. look, at, look at Yuki in, in Saudi Arabia, right? Like he was fighting mm-hmm. for a points paying position with, in a car that I don't know, probably didn't really deserve to be that high up. I mean, and that was a great job by him, but a great job by the team as well to kind of get this car into an operating window that's going to be good for car racing. And so I think at the at the end of the day, if they can start getting a little bit more consistent with getting the car into those windows, I think they're going to be okay. I just, I don't necessarily see them finishing dead last. So who's going to finish dead last? Well, I'm happy that uh, you asked me that question because uh, McLaren, I think, is going to be finishing dead last. Dead last wow. in the constructors. That's what I'm thinking. But I'm I not love saying they're it. not going to skip points. I'm not saying they're not going to get points. It. Wow. This is incredible. <laughs> I'm impressed. This is going to come you, back you, and bite me in the ass. Don't I know turn it. the temperature up this much. <laughs> so I'm going to give you guys my the power rankings I came up with before this show. And, and talking to you guys, I'm I'm thinking of, you know, shifting around my Alfa Romeo stock a little bit. <laughs> but I had Alpine, you know, fifth. I had Alfa Romeo sixth, with that, which I am feeling a little bit shakier on now. At McLaren, seventh, Haas, eighth, Williams, ninth, AlphaTauri, tenth. 
Mainly because I was too chicken to make McLaren lower than seven. But I'm but now I'm like, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I'm like maybe eighth, ninth for them would be great. That would certainly be fun. I'm I'm really glad that all of the rookies are in sort of a similar kind of pool of cars because it's it's been really fun to watch them kind of fight each other and find their footing on track together and you know just to have like a little bit more of an easier comparison between the three i feel like all of them have some really exciting qualities and it's it's just going to be fun across the season to watch them all kind of fight each other i think should we get into australia is there anything else you guys want to say about the midfield before we do that uh i think we 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 glossed over it uh relatively well and my statement about McLaren land yeah. dead last in the constructors is probably not going to go over well with uh, McLaren fans <laughs> that, and I'm sure I'm going to hear about it. kidney bean shaped factory just a smoking <laughs> crater now. Kidney bean. <laughs> um, actually, Amazing. I want to ask you guys about uh, about about the rookies. You know, who, I know mm-hmm. we're only two races in, but like who, who stood out, Megan, who stood out to you the most so far out of, out of the, out of the rookies? Um, I think I found Logan Sargent to be the most surprising, if that yeah. makes sense, um, in a in a good way. I, you know, like you were saying, Bauman, I, I really had no idea of what to expect, both from him and from the Williams coming into this season. I think, you know, race one was really impressive, almost getting into Q3, I believe, you know, tying Lando for, for the time and only getting knocked out because Lando said it first. Um, and then sort of sticking with Alex Albon during that race, I thought was was a really good showing from him. I was certainly disappointed by his qualifying in Saudi Arabia, but I thought I saw that had his first laps not get deleted, yeah. it would have been, what, like 13th or something? Yeah, he would have moved through to Q2. Yeah, so so that I felt a little bit better on. It, it seemed like a few other drivers had issues with that um, similar area as well as far as track limits. So... Um, I, th- I think he's stood out to me the most. Certainly Oscar's last drive was was very impressive and it was unfortunate we didn't really get to see what he could do in in Bahrain. But um, I think Logan for now has been kind of the biggest standout to me. Yeah. The thing about Piastri is out of the four competitive sessions we've seen so far, he's really only been clean once. Like, you know, he had the mechanical mm-hmm. issues in Bahrain and had the the contact of the first lap at uh at Saudi Arabia. So I I still don't have a feel like I have a good handle on him, you know, even with the caveat that it's only been a couple races. But, you know, Sargent, I think, had by far the most to prove out of the three rookies. And mm-hmm. just being as as close as he's been to uh, to Alex Albon in terms of qualifying pace, you know, as competitive as he's been uh, in the races, I think that's very impressive. I think he's answered a lot of the questions. And and this was somebody who I think everybody would have understood if it took him a half season mm-hmm. to, to really look like he's at home. Like, I think he looks like he's at home now. And now we'll see how much better he can get throughout the season. Um, yeah, super fun. couple of opening races for, for Logan. I, I was a little concerned going into Saudi Arabia that, you know, without much experience on that track, you know, like part of the reason I thought maybe he did so well in Bahrain was having a lot of, of time there during testing and, um, you know, just spending an extra week in Bahrain. And I was excited to see him do well in Saudi as well. I think that, yeah, showed some versatility from him, which was good. Um, yeah, let's let's get into Australia because I think this is going to be an interesting race. Albert Park Street Circuit, known for high speeds. They made 
A number of changes to this track last year um, added a fourth DRS zone, removed a chicane between turns nine and 10. Charles Leclerc now owns the record for fastest lap, which he set last year. So I think all of their aims at making this an extra speedy track seemed to work last year. What are you guys expecting to see in this race? What do you think will be especially important to see from the car car perspective? Just which teams do you think will have an advantage at this track? That's a great. I mean, obviously, I think we all know Red, Red Bull. Bull. Yeah, it's, it's, they're going <laughs> to be aside from Red Bull, <laughs> right? They're, they're going to be up front for now, at least for a little while longer. But uh, you know, on the on the on the other side of that, I mean, we we do have to take a look at some of the teams that we've already previously mentioned. Um, my my question is, is I'll be interested to see how how Aston Martin does here. I mean, like mm-hmm. that that was a team that after Bahrain, you know, I remember Mike Crack telling us like, hey, we've we've got to keep our feet on the ground here, and. They actually didn't really know what what they had. They knew they had something, but they didn't know how good the car was actually going to be. It does look like they have something from a baseline level that this car can be built upon and can be very competitive as we get further on into the season. But when I when I look at the track map for for Albert Park and you know four DRS zones and I just I don't really know how quick the Aston can be in a straight line. You know, I do understand that they they do have a draggy car when it comes to straight line speed, but it works the best once you get into the braking zones and into the corners. And, you know, I have to then take a look at, okay, well, then who is going to be like the second team or even the third team? And I keep coming back to Ferrari only because what they looked like in qualifying at Saudi Arabia. I mean, what, mm-hmm. they were only like a tenth or maybe two tenths off yep. of off of Red Bull. So the one lap pace looks really solid. It's tire degradation once they get into the race. That's been their Achilles heel now for this, now the second season for them. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder if that's going to be Red Bull, Ferrari, and then you have that battle between Mercedes and, and, and Aston Martin for the, the third fastest uh, team. I just... It's a, it's a type of track where a lot of these teams are going to be running a, a medium downforce setup um, and making sure that the car is fairly trimmed out simply because of all the long straights that you know we have here. And so I think nailing a good sector one is important for turns one and two. You know, you want to make sure that the car is compliant with turn in for turn one, and then you're able to get back to power uh, soon enough on exit of T1 to nail T2 and then get to the DRS. And then same thing goes with like turns six and seven, which is um, in around sector two. And that's going to be crucial because from after turn six through seven, you know, you've got essentially there's corner numbers on here, but they're not corners. Right. It's, yeah. it's a straightaway, right? It's a straightaway <laughs> all, all the way up to you get to, to T9 and T10. And that's where I think it's going to be fascinating to see what some of these cars can do through there because turns nine and 10 are kind of like that section where, you know, okay, uh, this is what a Formula One car, you know, is built for. It's for these mm-hmm. fast change of direction. And, and for me, watching that and watching the drivers commit to that, that's going to be exciting for me. Like I, I love that commitment uh, in that section, and I, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole weekend. To be perfectly honest with you, yeah, I think your point about the layout of the track. You know, one thing that stuck out to me about this race last year is I mentioned McLaren like fighting those brake cooling problems the entire season. Like they qualified well, and I finished I think uh, fifth and sixth um, because this track is 
like basically a rectangle. <laughs> like you, you know, you only really go hard on the brakes maybe four times. And so I think the the straight line speed, I think Ferrari is probably the right call uh to be the team that that you know comes closest to challenging the Red Bull. You know, I don't know if there's another team that will benefit like explicitly quite as well you know maybe this is a, a track for williams um you know they're they've tend to tended to do well at some of the high speed tracks um more recently you know alpine is another one i could uh you know i could see mm. um benefiting here just because i think that you know the with the big dr with so many drs zones the big straights i think mercedes could be in a little bit of trouble like you know mm-hmm. it, it just not like I think they're going to finish outside the points or get out in Q1 or anything. I just think it's going to be a little bit of a down weekend for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they're down, then Alpine is the next team up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it would be fun to see Alpine have a good weekend. I've I've been excited to see Pierre, especially in that car and, you know, kind of anxiously awaiting really his like first solid mm-hmm. performance there. And and I would I would love to see that start start this weekend and hopefully start snowballing. I think. Uh, yeah, him and that team have always seemed like a good match to me. So very curious to see what he does. Um, who do you think is going to struggle the most at this track out of the midfield? In terms of teams or drivers? Let's say that, both. Okay. I think, you know, I think Bauman made a good point with Mercedes. You know, I, I really do think they're going to struggle. I mean, not to the extent to where they're, you know, bounced out of Q2 or they can't, don't even make it into Q3. I think that's all mm-hmm. relatively possible. I just think for for a driver like Lewis, who's absolutely incredible. I mean, to hear him say that he's having confidence issues with this car and he doesn't have the full trust to, to put into it is, is a little concerning to hear because, you know, you're going to be stuck with it probably till, I'd say, mm-hmm. Imola, maybe a little bit after yeah. that. Uh, it's it it is worrisome because for a driver, I mean, you do have some big commitment, you know, challenges at this track, and it's kind of like if you're if you if you don't have that trust that you know or understand what the car is going to do uh, when you either put a different type of setup on it, or if the tire starts to go away, is it going to be on a knife's edge? And then when it goes over that, is it something that you can bring back? Right. And mm-hmm. like when you head into turn, you know, nine and 10, you know, the car is almost floating a bit through that section and you know, you're hauling ass. And so at the end of the day for a driver, I mean, the, the confidence level is, is everything right. If to give you an example, like we'll use Logan Sargent because obviously being a rookie going to a track like, Jetta is very daunting. That track mm-hmm. is full commitment, especially from turns, I would say, four to 10. So that's sector one there. And then you've got that turn 22 at the back stretch in and around sector three. And those are those are big commitment events. And if you get it wrong, you're going to pound the wall and you're going to lose all of your confidence. So for Logan, it's like he went out in free practice one and how far off of Alex was he? Well, I think he was probably about a second. It could have been a little bit more than that. But as you saw him start to chip away at it, the time came down and that lap delta to his teammate also closed down. So that's him mm-hmm. slowly pushing the braking zones, slowly carrying a little bit more speed into turns four and then maybe almost trying to turn do turns uh, 10 flat at Jetta. And so... For him, it was all about that build-up process because he already knew like once you kind of get to the limit of the car, 
what's it going to do after that? And Mm -hmm. for a driver to understand and to know that, that gives you confidence because you know that, hey, this is what the car is going to do when I take it to this limit. For Lewis to say that, you know, he doesn't really have that understanding. I I just don't know. I just, that's a, that's a tough thing. That's a really tough thing to hear. It it just is. And, And Sorry, Michael. Yeah, go ahead. I've been talking. Yeah, long no, enough. I think that's exactly right. And for that reason, the the devil's argument or devil's advocate uh, point I was going to make about maybe Mer- like the one chance Mercedes has to have a good weekend here is like George Russell. If there's one thing we know about his Mercedes character tenure, it's that he does not give a damn if he crashes. Yeah. Uh, so like, I think he could put together fifty laps of like outrageous suicidally aggressive braking and and pull a special result out here. I mean, this is not that dissimilar in terms of the peril in terms of being that, you know, that high speed street circuit from Saudi Arabia. And he finished ahead of Hamilton. He finished ahead of both Ferraris there. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's an opportunity. But, you know, in terms of, of Meg, your question of who from the midfield could really step up here, I'm just looking at the drivers. I don't know who that, you know, who has that ability to pull that, you know, ridiculous, uh, you know, maybe a lap, yeah, from a guy like Hulkenberg, maybe, but sure. but yeah. over over a race distance, you know, keeping it together and crucially, you know, keeping it on the ragged edge without overworking your tires or ending up in the fence, like that's you know, if these guys were capable of doing that, they wouldn't be in the teams that they're on. So, <laughs> you know, I would love to see you know Yuki just storm through to like a sixth place finish. That would be a lot of fun. But you know, I think that there's a mismatch of of car and driver talent here that I think we might see the bottom five teams just, you know, fill the the bottom 10 spots. Uh, you want to know who? I will tell you who. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I, I think like Alex Albon could have a pretty decent, you know, race mm-hmm. this weekend. Only if you, we go back to like last season, like I was saying, I mean, at this point last season, the car wasn't not good at all. And I think he, he did like a hard tire stint for... Yeah, he... Oh man, he did like a hard tire stint for most of the race and then came in, I think it was like the last lap or second last lap in and around mm. there to to swap on a quick set and he was able to 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 pull off some points for them. He got 10th, I believe, at the end of that race. Yeah, so that was that was that race. Yeah. That, that was an interesting strategy, Michael, because I never I actually have never really seen uh, a driver and a team actually risk that because you're <laughs> basically asking them to be like, "Hey man, Go and do pretty much almost a full race distance on this one set of tire and good luck. And like he pulled it off and, and was able to grab a point. So interesting strategy. I mm-hmm. would be interested to see if they try to do something similar if they qualify in a similar position as to what they did last season. Yeah, he. I mean, he qualified last, you know, and and just mm-hmm. coasted on those hard tires. And, you know, I... I I wish we saw more of that in, in F1. It yeah. does seem like there's a lot of strategic convergence here. And like, I would love like wild left field tire strategies to be attempted more often and, and to get to a point yeah. where like, you know, maybe just doing something radically different could, um, could get this kind of unexpected result, you know, more than once or twice a season. But yeah, yeah that, cool. that performance on the hearts last year was a lot of fun. It was. I, I hope we get something similar from him, whether they uh, go with a risky tire strategy or not would be good to see Alex have a good result. Always want good things for him. But yeah, should be a really exciting race overall. Thank you both, Michael and Tim, for joining us. Thanks as always to Erica Cervantes for the production help. Thanks to everyone for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 show. We will be back Sunday after the Australian Grand Prix.